This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis, or as it will soon be renamed, the No Goals Podcast. I'm Chris Hall and joining me to discuss another depressing weekend is Pete George of the Albion Analytics Twitter account. Pete, a change of shape, but sadly, the same old story. Did you see any improvements from Bruce's new look charges in the defeat to Luton on Saturday? Maybe not improvements because I I don't think we were too bad in the game before that. But I like that we went with five at the back. I just don't think we we got anyone close enough to, to Carroll as the second striker to really support him. Obviously, a little bit unlucky that we didn't score. Grant could have scored. Carroll had a shot that snuck under the keeper and kind of rolled past the post instead of inside the post. And then late on as well, Carroll had that diving header that hit the crossbar and could have easily phoned the top corner. So, I mean, there is a bit of unluckiness, but I think it's been five games now. We you can't really put it all down to luck. No, absolutely. I don't think anybody who saw the game will will, will say that we were especially poor in that first half. But I think where most of the issues come for most people is what happened after the break and most markedly the reaction to going behind. And I don't want to I don't want to rake over old ground because we've sat on this podcast multiple times and had a go at the mentality of this squad and this group of players. I'm reiterating the point because the point needs making that this is a mentally weak squad. I, I, I don't think there's many fans who are left in a great deal of doubt about that. But the way we reacted to Cameron Jerome's goal, it kind of, it felt reminiscent of Millwall, Preston, you know, the, the, you, you've changed the manager, we've changed the shape, and yet you go back to your feeling the way you did at the end of Valerian Ishmael's reign when that goal went in. It feels like almost it, it almost doesn't matter what we change at the moment. Nothing seems to seems to have fundamentally changed, and that's why I I, I, I tweeted after the game that ultimately it's not managers, it's not formations, 
it's the players. I realise that's an oversimplification and was probably an oversimplification purely for the purposes of Twitter and 240 characters not wanting to write a load of diatribe. But the, the, the fact is that whether or not you want to drill deeper and say, yes, the, the problem is the players because of the recruitment team that have brought them in and above them, the, the, the stru- football structure or lack of the football structure that we have got, which has allowed us to flip-flop between managers with different styles and bring in a recruitment team who don't seem fit for purpose. That doesn't change the fact that this group of players are not, it's not that they're not good enough as individual footballers, but as a group, in terms of mentality and supporting each other and actually getting the best out of each other, they're not, they're not even a little bit. And I don't, I don't feel like formation changes and uh, um, managerial changes are ever going to alter that until the playing personnel changes. And I think you mentioned at the start there that in the first half, we, we weren't bad really. It was that second half that really let us down. The first half was sloppy but we were probably the better team. And like I say, we, we could have definitely scored. And just to put some numbers on that, the field tilt from the first half, we was um, 60% to, to Albion. So basically we attempted more passes in the attacking third than they did in their attacking third by 60%. In the second half, it went down to 50%. So it was exactly even when in reality, we're chasing the game. They're 2-0 up. You can kind of expect them to sit in a bit deeper and let us have the possession, but... I mean, obviously, we didn't. We should have had that ball moving it around their box and just kind of waiting for an for an opening. But like I say, we didn't, and that's reflected in in the field till there. Just just to, just to jump in there, Pete. But also, it, it's worth saying that okay, we 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 tend to start games quite well at the at the moment. You know, we 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 we've, we've started quite well. We we started okay against Luton. Had good chances. We started well against Millwall. Andy Carroll missed a few chances. We started pretty well against Sheffield United up until uh, up until the red card. I can go through quite a lot of games where where we've actually started pretty well, but it's been thirteen matches since we scored in the first half of a football match. Yeah, I mean, obviously some of that's down to being unlucky, but then I mean, you can look at other factors whether players are low in confidence and they're not able to to push themselves through those periods of low confidence to just get that goal that gets them going again. It's a bit of a football cliche, but I do think if we score one, then the goals might start to come again. But I think we also lack that player that's going to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, and kind of just push us on. Like last time we were in the Championship, we had Pereira, and we knew that if things weren't going well, then he would get on the ball and he would try and change things. I just don't see which player is going to be the player that's going to be brave. And even if things aren't going well for the team, and maybe for him, he's going to keep getting on the ball as much as he can and trying to change things. But you, meant, you, Garner, did, you mentioned the word brave there, Pete. That come for me. That's a mentality trait. Does do, are we again coming back to that? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, and I think size in a way. Last championship season as well, he would always want the ball from the defenders, and I think something we're going to speak on later. And he would try and build the play. And if things weren't going right, then he'd take the ball back and just recycle it and just keep the ball and and just be brave and want it. But yeah, like you say, it's coming back to mentality again, which we. We've spoken about a lot. And on that mentality, the, the Grant chance is nothing short of staggering. I'm going to clarify this because there's two very distinct parts to the Grant chance. There's where he hits the bar and then there's when the ball comes back off the bar. And when I say it's nothing short of staggering, I'm talking about when the ball comes back off the bar. Because 
it's okay that he hits the bar in the first instance. He's he it, he's got a moment to beat the keeper. He chooses to dink him. It's far from inconceivable in that situation that any player would get a tiny bit too much on it and it would hit the crossbar. But what I don't understand about that chance is how, as the ball is coming back off the bar, how he overshoots the ball and he ends up pretty much beyond the ball, two, three yards out. If he just holds back just a margin and stands on the edge of the six-yard box, he has a tap-in. Now, clearly, again... He's not concentrating there because he's a good enough striker to know that. I mean, I I can't hit a cow's ass with a banjo, and I uh, and I know where he should be standing for uh, for that. I'm I'm not a championship or Premier League striker. He is. He knows where he should be for that for that opportunity. All he has to do is stay concentrated and make sure he's in the right position. Because there's only three possible things that are going to happen when he chips the goalkeeper. It's either going to go over the crossbar, in which case it doesn't matter where he is. It's either going to go in the goal, in which case it doesn't matter where he is. And the third possibility is it's going to hit the crossbar, in which case he knows how much power he's put on that shot. He knows he is a good enough striker to know where that ball is going to come back off the bar. And he just has to stay six yards out. And I just don't understand why we're in this run. And I can understand players being low on confidence. I totally get that. But I can't accept players not concentrating in those sort of situations. I can only reiterate what you've said there. I think the only option when he took the shot was to to kind of go over the keeper. Steer would come out and close him down so he couldn't really do much when the ball's that height as well, other than go over the keeper. So I think he got that right. It's just the, the next bit, like you say, lack of confidence, composure, focus, whatever. Maybe he's worried about the keeper claiming it over him so he's kind of gone closer than he should be but no in reality he's got to be putting that into the back of the net and the uh, run without a goal so let's talk about that let's talk about that run without a goal because I've got some numbers for you baggies fans and strap in it's cold sweats time this is not going to be enjoyable listening I've got no good news for you here I'm uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say but this that's obviously five full matches without us scoring a goal that we have only ever gone five full matches without scoring a goal once in the club's entire history. That was back in the 16-17 season in the Premier League, where we failed to score against Manchester United, Watford, Southampton, Liverpool and Leicester. We then scored in the next game. So we have never, we have never in the history of this football club failed to score in six consecutive football matches, which is obviously what we face against Middlesbrough. It's also worth noting that we have never failed. We've, we've never gone this long without scoring a goal outside of the Premier League. We're not playing in the Premier League. Our run, I've just said to you, our, our previous run was Man United, Watford, Southampton, Liverpool, Leicester. This run is Preston, Millwall, Sheffield United, Blackburn and Luton. I mean, there's not really any comparison there. We are playing in the championship and we have never, ever, ever gone this long without scoring a goal. It is a disgraceful run. Just to let you know, if you want to, if you want a minute watch against Borough in midweek, that the, the previous run was 531 minutes. We are currently at 451, which basically means if we, if we tick past tick into the 81st minute without having scored against Middlesbrough. This will be the worst run without a goal in this football club's history. As far as I am aware, as far as the wonderful person who did this research for me is aware, that is what we believe to be the case. 
it's 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 shocking, Pete. This put simply, this shouldn't be able to happen because the other thing is as well. We shouldn't look this much out of our depth in this division. Whatever you think about this squad, and you and I are both on the same page, this squad is not as good as some people think it is. In fact, I don't think it's very good at all. I think it's deeply unbalanced. But by heck, it should be good enough to score a goal sometime in five matches. Well, I mean, that's an incredible stat. And I don't think either of, either of us thought we'd be sitting here today saying that we've got a potential record-breaking squad after Middlesbrough. I don't think you can say too much on that. Everyone knows that it's it's awful that we've not scored in five. Like I've said already, that it's partly down to luck, but then also partly down to poor finishing and maybe players not having the, the mentality to kind of break that duct. But the squad is very unbalanced, as you say. But that's that's what happens when you, you don't plan for the future. You plan for the manager that's in charge and you don't see anything past him in the future. You expect him to stay out four years, so you plan for four years and look where we are. It lasted what, seven, eight months? Absolutely. I mean, and we'll come on to that in just in just a moment because I, I do want to spend a portion of today talking about what I will politely refer to as the Luke Dowling leg- legacy. Uh, just to also say, say that how deep these problems run. We are, I think I'm right in saying we're down, now down to 11th. If we finish outside the top six in this division, which is looking extremely likely, this will be our lowest league finish for 22 years since Sir Gary Megson came in and kept us up in 99-2000 and we finished 21st in the championship, or as it is called now. I mean, that, that is how far this squad is underperforming. And I'm not saying that they are they're comparable to other Albion squads because I'm aware that we've had, we, we've spoke about in recent weeks, we had, we've had a lot, lot of better players than the, the squad that we have now. But you look at the squad the next season under Gary that, that managed to finish six, which is, which is our next lowest position, that, that, that six in 0001, where we made the playoffs and were, and were beaten by Bolton. And you go through that squad and you think, OK, we had, uh, we had Hughesy up front banging the goals in. But other than that, the, there was a lot of kind of, quite jobbing players, quite, you know, quite workmanlike individuals who certainly didn't have anything close to the Premier League experience that some of these players have. And yet they they outperformed them so massively, so massively. That these players are just under, underperforming so dramatically. A squad that was being started to build as a, a bit of a specialist squad. There's not many managers that play same style as Ishmael so I mean personally I, I wish the fans had given him a bit more time because I think ultimately that's kind of what pushed the board into into sacking him I think if the fans were on board then he would he would have at least stuck out the whole season and I think we'd be in a better place for it now I think we'd have picked up more points if Ishmael had stayed in the past four games just if the on, fans just, were on his side Just on that Pete I mean because you and I both both agree on this I uh, I, I agree with you that, that Ishmael was a long-term project and to and to sack him so quickly it, it was it, it, it was difficult when you've allowed him to start building the a squad in his image but it just again it comes back to the total lack of vision in the wider picture of the club that that they they were putting all of their stock into this special, very specialised style of football and building a squad around it. And if they knew anything about the Albion fans, they would have known that this was going to be a problem. We've always seen it down the years. 
with any manager who plays this style of football, with the possible exception of Gary Megson, who obviously where he took us from and where he took us to could not be argued with by anybody. But other than that, unless Valerian Ishmael had had something close to unprecedented success with this football club, there was a very high percentage chance that he was going to be ran out of town with flaming torches by by the fans. And I think most people knew that. So it's not just bringing in a manager and letting him build a squad in his own image, but you take a guy who's very specialised, build a squad that you pretty much know if anybody else is in charge of, they're probably not going to be able to play that style of football. There's There's not another Valerian Ishmael out there like how... You know, if you play Pulis ball, there are other Pulis type managers that you can hire uh, to to replace him who can play a similar style of football. Similarly, if you've got an Eddie Howe type, you can bring in other footballing managers who can uh, who who can do that style of football. But there was no there was no if Valerian Ishmael doesn't work out and we have to bring somebody else in to play a similar brand of football. There was never going to be that man, and it's just so short sighted all the time. Yeah, and. That's basically what I was, I was building to. We were recruiting for Ishmael. I imagine Ishmael had quite a big say in who we brought in. And I don't think you can blame him for that because obviously he's building his squad for himself, not expecting to be sacked after eight months. And I don't think you can really blame the recruitment team for that either because they're just doing what they're kind of told to do. I think that ultimately comes down to the to the board who should be doing the long-term planning. I think if we want a squad that's balanced... Um, that any manager can come in and take over and kind of succeed with it, then we need, we're missing players in three key positions. I think the first being a midfielder that's high volume in his passes, lots of passes, can kind of move the ball around, keep possession of it, doesn't have to venture forward too far. Someone kind of in the in the mould of uh, Romain Sawyers or um, even someone like Jorginho at Chelsea, obviously not that level, but... If, if, only, if only we had a player like Romain Sawyers, though, eh? Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, at the start of the season, I wouldn't have wanted him to stay because I don't think he would have fit what, what Val wanted. But I think he's out of contract at the end of the season, so we'll see what we do there. Um, I think we're missing a player that's got creativity, a central player like Pereira, obviously, um, somebody that's going to get on the ball in that final third and, and kind of link up players and create and just kind of be the the spearhead of the attack at the minute we're just focusing every attack out wide basically we're missing that central presence to get on the ball and make things happen and then finally um the real goal scoring striker i think well apart from dk hopefully it will be dk but at the minute we've not seen him someone like kevin phillips who just seemed to score goals we don't necessarily need someone that's going to help build up loads because we've got Andy carroll to play long into and can hold it up and stuff and Maybe Robinson, if you want someone that's a bit more creative as a striker, but someone that's going to get in good positions consistently and just put the ball into the back of the net and score us the goals that we desperately need. Should Grant be able to be that player? Um, maybe, but ultimately he's a, a left forward, left winger, whatever you want to call him. So I don't think it's as easy to switch into the striker role as it might seem because you're playing with completely different angles. If you're out on the left, you kind of know that there's nothing behind you. You know that you can cut in get inside the fullback and he likes to cut in from the left we've seen him on the edge of the box a few times getting shots off so I think it is quite a big big difference in position but for someone of his quality that he's shown in the championship you'd hope he'd be able to play as a striker in the championship maybe not in the Premier League but it's obviously a lower level so 
Ishmael didn't want to use him though, which I understand to use him in his best position. Yeah, and I suppose as well, the other thing is Ishmael didn't want to use him there because he wanted a very particular type of striker um, as that nine. He, he wanted a clear focal point, which Grant, for what qualities he does have, and I know it doesn't look like he has many at the moment, but we have seen in the past that he does have qualities. being a focal point is certainly not one of them. I just wanted to come back a little bit on on what you were talking about, because you you started that off talking about the recruitment team and saying that they've pretty much done what was asked of them up to to this point in the sense that they have basically, basically it seems the job that's been asked of them is get the players that the manager wants. Now, to some that might seem like a fairly decent recruitment strategy to I, I, I think it's it, it is a strategy that is going to fail ultimately because in the modern day the shelf life of a manager at a football club is about eighteen months, particularly in the championship. They, they and particularly at our club where we go uh, go through them the way most people go through hot dinners. And if you're changing the manager frequently, allowing him to recruit his own players, bringing in the players that he wants is just a bad, bad idea. And I said I wanted to talk about the Luke Dowling legacy. And I do, because I feel like he came in, he dismantled what was a highly successful recruitment team. He also oversaw the departure of a lot of highly successful youth staff as well, which I think we're not necessarily seeing the the effect of that just yet but i think we will in a few years time certainly as as most of the, them that are 16 17 18 seem to have gone gone to join mark harrison at villa and i think i think that is a problem for another day but i think we should recognize that that is probably going to be a long term impact of luke dowling's legacy but i think the more the the immediate concern right at this moment is the fact that he he got rid of a lot of really really good recruitment staff who had served the club well and intelligently brought in good good players who not only served the club well not only worked towards a a structure of what we were trying to do a style of play that 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 we knew that again you could pull the manager out drop another one in and these players would would work around that but also accumulated value and I just don't see any of that from from his recruitment staff. I don't really know what they're doing, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I appreciate what you said, Pete, that, that they're doing the job that's asked of them. And if the job that's asked of them is bring the manager into the room, he's going to tell you what you want, make it happen. Then that is the strategy of the club. I think it's a foolish strategy, if that's our strategy, but they've got to do the job that, that Luke Dowling tells them. But ultimately, it comes back to it's on his head. Because if he, that, he, that's what he's told the recruitment staff to do for the last few managers, that was inherently foolish. And if that's, I, I, I mean, we're yet to see what they can actually do because they haven't had to buy players off their own back. But we've got to find a way to recruit like we did in the Dan Ashworth days, where we bring in players and they are not only building towards a particular style of play, which we intend to play through this manager, the next manager, the manager after that, and the manager after that, and consistently play that style of play, that we're thinking about them accumulating value, which was something that was always big on Jeremy Peace's agenda. I don't think that's a massive shock to uh, to anybody, but also that they are the right type of people as well. Um, I, I'm, you know, without sitting here and advertising other, uh, other podcasts, uh, I was listening to, um, to Fozcast um, and Ben Foster speaking to Chris Brunt 
the other the other day which by the way i am going to sit here and advertise another uh, another podcast if you haven't listened to it give it a listen it's really really interesting listen but brunty talked about how during his best time at the club across that sort of season and a half under Roy and the first season under Steve Clark, they'd really built up a a group of core group of players who were, there was no superstars in there, but they were just really top lads all in it for each other, all fighting towards the same cause. And they would just go out on the pitch and they go, go to go to war for each other. And he said that when it started to fall apart in the second half of Steve Clark's reign was when they started to dismantle that squad and, your Liam Ridgewells and your Billy Joneses, who were really top personalities, walked out of the, walked out of the club. I just don't feel like this recruitment staff have even considered the personalities of the players over the last few years. Talking about the strategy, I think it's basically just got to be a conversation between the head coach, manager, whatever he is, um, the recruitment department, and the uh, the the higher up uh, director of football, sporting director, CEO, whatever it is. There's got to be a conversation between the three the three parties, and I think the recruitment staff do need to be recruiting for the manager. But then the CEO or sporting director has then got to be considering who can take over after this next manager and use the players that the previous manager wanted. So basically, both managers want the same players, and the recruitment department can then recruit for the type of player that the manager wants. Yeah, as, as I said a few weeks back on this very pod, that Dan Ashworth, when he got a lot of stick for saying this publicly in a press conference, I think it was Roberto Di Matteo's unveiling press conference, he actually said that they got asked a question. It was an answer to a straight question, but he he he, he said that I always have a list of potential candidates to replace the manager because you never know what can happen. You never know whether you're going to have to let a manager go or whether he's going to be poached by a bigger club. I always have... Even when I'm hiring a manager, I have a list of people that I would have to replace him. It's called succession planning. And as you say, we haven't done any of that. And Dan, Dan Ashworth was brilliant. I was listening to an interview with him last week, I think, basically the setup from Brighton. I think it was an old interview, but he was basically saying that there's so many different departments that he kind of links up. So he links up with Graham Potter as the manager and then the recruitment department. And then obviously with the board level, with the under 23s and just every other thing, he's kind of the, the link between it all, which is why you've got to have someone such quality in that role. It's, I mean, arguably one of the most important roles in a football club, even if it's not the most the most glamorous. But going back to personalities, I think it's got to be a massive part of recruitment. It's not something that you can kind of quantify with a stat and say, oh, look, he's he's got a good personality. He's got this, this is his stats for it. you kind of got to, just have contacts and meet them and speak to coaches that have, have worked with them and see what they say about them. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's a massive, massive part of it. These players spend the majority of their lives together. So they've got an environment that they can then go out on a Saturday and fight for each other. Like you say, that ben, ben Foster podcast was brilliant with Brunt. I'd definitely recommend it to any, any Albion fans. They had a really good squad that all got on with each other and all, all wanted to work to um, win on a Saturday and in the end, fight to stay in the Premier League, um, which maybe we don't have at the minute. No, I mean, I can't speak about the current crop because I've, I, I don't work with them, but I was I was at the club at that, at that time. And just everybody that came through the door 
were just brilliant personalities all the way through that that period of time. And even 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 short term guys, by the way, Keith Andrews came in on on loan, and he's just another brilliant guy. It wasn't just bringing in a decent player, and Keith was a decent player as well, by the way, but. He was just a great guy to have around the place. He 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 was brilliant with the young lads as well. He'd go and speak to guys in the academy. He didn't care that he was there on a short term and he might not be there beyond the the end of the season. He wasn't there beyond the end beyond the end of the season. He didn't act like that. He acted like a guy who was going to be there for the next five years. The way he, the way he he just came in immediately, put down roots, and was fantastic. And I could I could run through I I, I could run through. Like most, that's I could sit with that squad list in front of you and uh, in front of me and tell you something that was great about pretty much all of them. And I, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the current guys are like. I won't cast aspersions on their personalities because I don't know them individually. But one thing that I can tell you is that there is no way this group is as together as that group was because if it was, you would not see a capitulation like we had in the second half at Luton. There's that, and then there's a, the factor that I mentioned earlier is that we don't seem to have that, that player that's really brave and really wants to get on the ball when things aren't going well and kind of be the, the spark that starts something and creates a goal or creates a chance. Just take control of the game and really try and impact it even when things aren't going well. Maybe that's down to down to the recruitment that we haven't got that player. I just wanted to touch on one other point as well. Does it stagger you that, that in terms of the football structure at the club, that we've got it so wrong when, and I know we were under different ownership at the time, obviously Jeremy Peace was was owning the club as opposed to Gouch on Lye. But nonetheless, there was, there was enough people in and around the club that had a front row seat to one of the best operators in the game in Dan Ashworth. And yet it's not even, it's not even 10 years down the line. And we have to be one of the worst structured clubs in the top two divisions in terms of our football structure. It's staggering how we've gone from one extreme to the other. Don't quote me on this, but I think now that Newcastle have got Ashworth, I think it's now 19 out of the Premier League clubs that work with a either a um, sporting, a technical director or a director of football. So it's kind of becoming the um, the structure that everyone goes to. When, when Ashworth first uh, took over that role at the Albion, I think he was head of academy or something before that piece offered him offered him that role I think there was only one or two other director of footballs or technical directors working in, in the English game so he's kind of one of the first first to do that role and kind of evolved the role into what he into how he saw it and I mean he's been been excellent everywhere he's been but we're missing that right now massively well look we could talk about the structure of our football club or the lack of structure of our football club all night but to be honest we could also go round and round in circles on it so I'm gonna have to move us move us on slightly and we have got a couple of questions from listeners so first of all we have got Michael who tweeted us and said would value your collective opinions on our dead balls are we especially rubbish at them this season or just average? I.e. have we been spoilt with our dead ball success rates by past managers and players? Alex Mauer is actually a very good corner taker. He gets a lot of power and a lot of whip, if you like, on his corners, especially ones from the right that are kind of landing in that six-yard box and curling towards the goal. I think he's actually a good set-piece taker in that in that respect, but... If you look at the expected goals numbers, created 18.1 or 
uh, expected goals. So obviously you could expect to score 18 from that, and we've scored 11. The dead balls are split up into throw-ins, corners, set pieces, free kicks. I think the set pieces will be kind of free kicks that we haven't shot from, but we crossed it instead. So we've created 18, 18 expected goals and scored 11. But when you look at the, the numbers in terms of finishing, you can look at expected goals on target, which is basically a measure of how likely you are to score once the shot's taken. So where the shot hits the, the goal, is it in the corners? Is it straight down the middle? That kind of stuff. And we've got 9.9, so basically half of our expected goals. So what that's saying is that we've, we've had chances, but when we've shot, we've not shot very well been easy saves for the goalkeeper and that's why we're not scoring because the 18 expected goals actually ranks us top of the top of the division for expected goals from set plays so we're obviously creating the chances we're just not putting them away so pretty much dead balls is reflective of the same old story of the, of the rest of our season that a lot of it doesn't seem to be in the build-up but it's it's in the final execution yeah exactly massively massively underperforming expected goals from set pieces and Massively underperforming expected goals from open play as well. So it's kind of just the pattern for this season, unfortunately. And I have to say as well, we we, we, we actually ch- chatted about this off air before, before we started. But when you look at the shots data from the weekend, and nobody's ignoring the fact that the second half was appalling, but we really should have done enough to have scored a goal in that. We... We had two shots inside the six-yard box for a start, seven more in the rest of the 18-yard box. That's nine shots inside the 18-yard box. How are you not scoring from there? And we've had six shots, six on, sorry, 16 shots, six on target. They only had six shots in the in the whole game, only had three on target, and yet they've won the game 2-0. I mean, it's just, our finishing data is utterly appalling, Pete. Yeah, it really is, and I keep saying it. Part of it comes down to, to being unlucky. Like on another day, Carroll's header, diving header, last minute that would have flown in. We've been over it quite a few times already, but the basically the, the end point is that we need to start putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, absolutely. And just moving on to one other question that we also had through, Pete. Um, somebody wanted us to look at the passes into the central, uh, sorry, the passes that were received by the central midfielders from the centre-backs. The comment was, it looked like the midfielders didn't want the ball. Um, so give me your thoughts on that. I'll start by saying that I think that goes back to what we've been talking about in the recruitment. We recruited for Ishmael where we don't necessarily need midfielders that want to receive off the centre-backs. I think, I, think I think you said last week, actually, that when, when under Ishmael, particularly from Clark, but from the centre-backs generally, the ball out was out to the wing-back, wasn't it? Yeah, especially Clark. He would whip out the uh, the visual where it shows that his top five clusters of passes are all diagonals out towards where the wing-back will be. So that kind of sums it up, the way that we want to play under Ishmael. Looking at the numbers for Luton, there was 20 times when one of the centre-backs would try and play, that would successfully play into one of the midfielders. So that's Moet. Malumbi or Reach and out of those 20 times eight times the ball would be played back to either one of the centre-backs or the goalkeeper or it would be given away so eight out of the 20 times that it did go into the midfielders it kind of just went straight back or got given away. Wow so nearly nearly half the times the balls went from the centre-halves to our midfielders it didn't go anywhere of any use. Yeah exactly and it would almost half the times it would go straight back so I don't think that'd be particularly bad that it was half of them went back. 
if we did it more times. But it was only 20 times that we did it. So it kind of tells you that isn't what we wanted to, that isn't the way that we wanted to build up. The midfielders didn't want the ball. If it was maybe 50, 60 times. Yeah, if it was, if, if, if it was, if it was a lot more than that, then you'd be, you'd be looking at it and, and saying that is how we want to play. But we just, it just comes back to recruitment, doesn't it? In the end, it just comes back to the fact that we haven't got the players to play a progressive style of football. And it comes back to what you were saying at the top, that we hired an extremely specialised manager and built a squad for him. Not We're really going to struggle to play any other style of football with. I mean, without sounding too too down and doomed and depressing, Pete, is it pretty? Are we pretty much at a point where we kind of need to look at this season and just go? We're almost going to end up writing this off. There's no way we're going to make the playoffs. And we we just need to get through the rest of this season with it without it being any more depressing than it already is. Get to the summer, and we have probably got the biggest summer of recruitment ahead of us that I can remember. Would that be fair? Yeah, it would. And so I tell the players to play without the the pressure of getting to the playoffs and see what happens. If we win some games, we win some games. Maybe we do make the playoffs. But if we don't, then it's kind of what we're expecting at this point. So play without that pressure and and just see what happens. In terms of the summer, yeah, it's massive. It kind of, I mean, it will define where we are as a club for the next 10 10 years, I'd say, to be honest. I think that's how, how massive it is. But like we keep talking about, we need that plan first. What are we going to do? Who's going to be in charge? How are we going to play? Set out that plan and go from there. And therefore, it, I think it'd be fair to say that the biggest part, piece of recruitment that we can do should happen before the summer. And that would be getting in a good quality sporting and technical director who can work with Ron Gourlay on that plan and make sure that we don't we don't waste this summer because... If we do waste this summer, given the results we've had in the last few weeks, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic to say we could end up being another cautionary tale who dips into League One. I wouldn't go that far at the minute, but I think the thing is, at the minute we've got a squad that's got some players of high value, but not as high as when we bought them. So, And they lose value even further if we're the ones that are trying to shift them on rather than clubs coming to us and trying to buy them. So we've got players that we can get rid of if we need to. Yeah, it's just it's just whether they're the ones we want to want to get rid of because as you say, I mean the reality is we don't want to be getting rid of I mean we we would in an ideal situation we wouldn't be getting rid of Sam but we are going to end up getting rid of him unfortunately through because he has he hasn't got a contract beyond beyond the end of this season. And then you look at the others and you think, well, you know, you wouldn't want to be losing people like Connor Townsend. You probably wouldn't want to lose Matt Clark because whatever anybody thinks of his passing numbers he's he's had a decent season but he's only on loan so we 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 probably will you know obviously you don't want to be losing people like Taylor Gardner Hickman and and lads who are who are the future of future of this football club you probably don't want to lose someone like Carl Bartley who actually does know what it means to get out of this division and 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 and, and knows the club and actually has been a part of better times but the ones who are outside of that group who you do want to get rid of, if you look at people like Grady, where it's not really worked out for him, Carlin Grant, again, it, 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 he's done okay at times because he's got 10 goals, but it certainly certainly hasn't been the player we thought we were going to buy. 
they were big money, big money signings, and you aren't going to get anywhere near what we paid for either of those those players because there's what th- about thirty two million pounds worth of of talent there, and we you couldn't you couldn't sell Carlin Grant and Grady Dean Garner tomorrow and get anything close to thirty million. No, and that's that's part of the problem. I say the other. I say the other part of the problem is that we've got to be careful not to lose too much value on players that leave on a free, like Johnson's going to do. I mean, in fairness, the board have kind of been good in terms of the contract. Grady and Grant both got long contracts, which is good because it kind of keeps the value, but obviously it's not good if the player turns out to not be the player that you'd expect. And Gun Hickman as well got the, So that's good planning. But yeah, we've got to, it's got to be set out basically that you know when players' contracts are expiring. If you know they're not going to sign a new one, then you've got to, you've got to shift them on, really, generally. I mean, Johnson, it might have helped that we've kept him because he, he has been very good. But as he added five, six, seven million worth from not selling him, because that's probably what we could have been maybe looking at in the summer. I think if we'd got straight um, automatic promotion, then now looking at where we are on the table, in hindsight, it would probably have been better to, to move him on. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing with with something like Sam, you you you're gambling, aren't you? You're rolling the dice, and you are hoping that 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 if he that if you keep him, you get it's enough to get you promoted. I think we've now moved into a, into a place where you don't gamble anymore. You you make sure that you keep the value, but and and you sell players at the height of their value, but. If you are going to do that, then what you need is a trusted recruitment team and person heading that up that you know will spend that money effectively. And there are so many examples of of clubs who sell players and reinvest. Brentford is an amazing example of how you can constantly sell your best players, whether that's Neil Morpé, Esri Concer, whether that's Ollie Watkins, Saeed Benrahma, and still get better every year. Why? Because they've got brilliant recruitment people around them who absolutely 100% know what they're doing. At the moment, if we raised money from the sales of some of our better players and sold them at the height of their value, would I trust the people within the club to spend the money? Would I? Yeah, I think Brentford's a a good example of an absolutely brilliantly set up recruitment structure. They've got some, some geniuses working in there and they just spot value when it's it's not obvious to other clubs bring them in, develop them, and move them on. And it's it's self sustaining really, because if you keep making high profits on your players and you can keep investing, and slowly you're going to move up the leagues and, and get into the Premier League, which is exactly what they've done. But would I trust our our recruitment team at the minute to to bring in good value and develop the players into into um, more expensive players and sell them on? Probably not at the minute. I don't think they've they've proven it. So it's I mean it's always a risk when you don't when you're not sure. Of the when you're not sure what sort of player the recruitment team are going to bring in. Absolutely. Well, look, we could talk the recruitment team at the Albion all night, but I think we're going to have to leave it there for today. If there is something that you want us to cover on this pod, then please do reach out to us as a couple of people have. And, and Pete's very kindly done some research and, and had a look at the, the, the numbers behind the things that, that our listeners wanted to hear about. If you want to reach out to us, you can contact us via the pod Twitter account, which is at Albion Analysis, or you can tweet myself at CJ Hall 83 or Pete at Analytics WBA. 
We will be back after the Middlesbrough game when Albion have hopefully avoided the unwanted club record for the longest period of time we've ever gone without scoring a goal. We're 80 minutes shy of it at the moment. Let's hope we don't get there. That pod will probably be a little later than normal, probably dropping on Friday the 25th of February. But until then, thank you very much for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.